If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be continuing our Be Thankful series. I want to pray, and uh, then we'll get started, jump in from there. Father, we thank you uh, for the goodness and the greatness of who you are. We thank you for how you pursued us by sending your son, that you are the one who set out to make things right, that you uh, set out with, with the sending of your son to redeem us, to redeem us from any and all unrighteousness, to save us from the chains that, that hold us down, from the shackles that we so easily run back to. And so God, I pray today that in the midst of that, that we would understand who you are. We would understand the goodness of Jesus. We would understand that, that he bought us, he purchased us, and he redeemed us with his bloodshed on the cross, but he did not stay there. And we can be thankful for the very fact that everything that we carry, every sin, every struggle, every doubt, every discouragement, that everything we carry can be cast at the feet of Jesus, that can be, they were carried to the cross, and that we can be forgiven, that we can walk free, and that, God, you want to do that for us. And so, God, I pray that in the midst of some of the most discouraging times that we could understand and be grateful, it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Colossians chapter one, and I want to start off with this. Did you hear about the man who found the devil's seed barn? No? Good. That's great. I just wanted to check and see if you did. No, the reality is it's, it's, it's where the devil keeps the seed he sows in the hearts and the lives of human beings. To his surprise, the man noticed an abundance of one kind of seed. It was a seed of discouragement. And Satan said, if I can sow discouragement into a person's life, then I can get almost anything else I want into his life. But then Satan reluctantly admitted that seeds of discouragement will sprout almost anywhere except in the heart of a grateful person. See, I believe wholeheartedly and very simply that we have to begin to understand that though this story may be a myth or a mythical story, the point is absolutely true. That in the midst of everything that you go through, Satan wants to cast doubts and seeds of discouragement in your life. And the reason why he wants to do that is because at that point, he can get you to do anything and everything else he wants. A matter of fact, if you were to be honest, or if I was to say how many of you were here this week have been discouraged, I would venture to say that in most everybody's life, at some point in time this week, you have faced a bout of discouragement, about a depression, a struggle, or some, some, some doubts that you begin to face in your very life. And I believe wholeheartedly, and I have no doubt based upon what we see, is that discouragement is the very seed that Satan wants to plant in your life so that he gets you to stop doing what you're supposed to be doing, that he can get you to begin to focus more and more on yourself and not on other people. And likewise, as a result, he can then stop us as a church from moving forward. And so in Colossians chapter one, we see a Paul, or Paul, who's very thankful for what's going on. As a matter of fact, I want you to understand this, that discouragement cannot grow in the heart of a grateful person. Did you hear that? That discouragement cannot grow in the heart of a grateful person. In other words, there's going to be times where Satan's going to throw that seed and try and plant it in there, and you may get hit by some of those seeds, and you may even have a thought of discouragement, but I want you to understand this, that discouragement cannot grow in the heart of a grateful person. As a matter of fact, I want to ask you this, how thankful are you? I, I told you this last week, and I'm going to jump even more and more so on this 
but I want to be a person who is thankful and grateful in every season and for every reason. And the reality is I'm not. As a type A perfectionist, I find myself very easily giving in to being critical, never being satisfied, and always being discouraged of the situations or circumstances I might find myself in. But I want you to see today that Paul is the proof in today's text that what Satan had done in, in casting seeds of doubt and discouragement were not going to give in to Paul and Paul's heart because Paul had a grateful heart. So in Colossians chapter one, if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter one, we're gonna start in verse three, all right? And we're gonna read through verse eight, all right? Listen to what he says, starting in verse three. This is Paul, again, talking to the church at Colossae, and he says, we always thank God for the, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. So Paul is saying right from the get-go, a matter of fact, I want you to understand that Paul right now, if, if Paul had, could have any sort of discouragement, Paul was a man who was on mission. Paul had started churches all across the world. Paul had faced all kinds of persecution and struggles and doubts. But Paul, who is now in prison, he's, a, he's bound in prison, writes a letter to the church at Colossae thanking them for their faith. So Paul, if anybody of any of us would have the most right to be the most discouraged because of all the circumstances and struggles and difficulties he had faced, and yet Paul finds a way to be grateful. Why? Because a grateful heart does not give in to discouragement. A grateful heart is focused on the blessings that God has, that I wanna be a person who is always grateful, who is always thankful in every season and for every reason. So listen again. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard, listen, we have heard of your what? We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the, listen to this, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of the truth, the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. So here's the beauty of what we see taking place, that all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as, is, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Those right there are huge words. Listen to verse seven. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. See, here's the reality. Paul is proof of this in today's text. We have to understand that Thanksgiving begins and ends with God. This is what we said last week. Thanksgiving begins and ends with God, who is good and whose love is everlasting. But I also want you to understand that when we get into or understand having a heart of thankfulness, we have to begin to see that God has something even greater for us. Number one, he doesn't want us to be discouraged. He wants, to, wants us to trust him. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to be committed to him. See, Paul, if anybody had the right to be discouraged, it was him. Matter of fact, if you could think about it, remember Paul stoned people, or sorry, held the coats as people were stoning Stephen. Paul then set out to persecute the church, having people arrested and thrown in jail, all right, as a result of what's going on. Then Paul runs into and meets Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Paul's blinded. 
in that, he gives his life to Jesus. He says, okay, fine, this is the way it's gonna be. I understand, I see what I've done. I admit my, my failures, and now I put my life in Jesus. But Paul, as a result, doesn't stop there. He doesn't give in to the discouragement. Matter of fact, he moves forward. And he takes the gospel out. Matter of fact, most of the book of Acts, from really Acts chapter eight on, is about Paul and his missionary journeys. Planting churches all around what would be modern day Middle Eastern, Greece, Rome, and places like that. All the while, getting persecuted, losing friendships, having, listen, even other believers doubt Paul to doubt his efforts, to doubt his desires, to doubt what he was doing, to say he has ulterior motives, all of which Paul had to write to certain churches in his letters about. Paul had every right to be discouraged. And we come to the church at Colossae and Paul writes to them. And here's what I wanna challenge us with today. Do we wanna be a church? Do we wanna be a group of people who are known for our faith and our hope and our love? Three things. Faith, hope, and love. And in the midst of that, do we want to be a church that people could say, hey, that church right there, we're thankful for them. We're thankful for what they've done in my life. We're thankful for the example they led. We're thankful for their faith in Jesus. We're thankful for their love for the believers amongst the church, but also their love for their community. We're thankful for the hope that they have in the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of Jesus and the hope that we have in heaven. Do, can, can we say that about our church? Do we wanna be that type of church? A church that would say, hey, we could have people write letters to us thanking us for what we have done because not, listen, not because of who we are, but because of what God has done in our life. So we said last week that Thanksgiving begins and ends with God who is good and whose love is everlasting. And today I wanna give you this main thought, this main idea. A church to be thankful for bears the marks of Christ-like living and a commitment to the gospel. Remember what I said earlier, do we wanna be the church that people would thank for their consistency, for their Christ-like markers that they bear out? I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part of a church that people would say, I am thankful for that church. In the lives of believers, but also in the lives of people in our community and around the world who would say, man, thank you, Lord, for a church that was faithful to do what you've called them to do. Anybody else wanna be a part of that church? I, I would say most likely everybody's say, that's what I wanna be a part of. I wanna be a part of a church that is faithful to what God has called us to do. So if you remember that, that a church, I wanna be a part of a church to be thankful for. You can be thankful for our church because it should bear the marks of Christ-like living. So here's the question. What should we be thankful for? What should we be thankful for? All right. Number one is this. Number one, faith in Jesus. Listen again what he says, starting in verse three. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Listen, the whole point behind this, what should we be thankful for? We should be thankful for our faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's the only thing that we have to stand upon. The simple fact is that you and I know, based upon where we're at, that we have to understand that we don't deserve God's goodness and grace, but God gives us his goodness and grace because that's who he is. 
that we didn't earn this based upon our good works or how much money we gave or the amount we attended in church, but rather that we, we received it as a gift from God because Jesus gave it and offered it to us. So we begin to understand, number one, why I should be thankful and not let seeds of discouragement creep in is because I have faith in Jesus Christ and that that faith in Jesus is the first and foremost thing that I always have to have. That in the midst of every trial, every trouble, every circumstance I face, that I can be thankful for the faith I have, even if it means, listen to me, even if it means it may cost me my life. Faith in Jesus is the utmost priority, is the first thing we have to have, is the number one thing. As a matter of fact, if you were to read Acts chapter 16, verse 31, the Philippian jailer asks Paul and Silas, what must, I be, what, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and them say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the faith in Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, faith or without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is the very thing that holds us together. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because we can only please God by putting our faith and trust in him first and foremost. And so why should we be thankful? Because we have a faith in Jesus that doesn't fail, doesn't walk away, doesn't pass away, doesn't die, but rather that we have faith in a living, resurrected king who paid the price for us, who died on the cross, carrying the weight and the burden of our sins and rose again. So we have a faith in Jesus that cannot be shaken. It can be doubted by some. It can be challenged by others. It could cost you your life in some areas of the world, but I want you to understand that this faith in Jesus is the foundation upon which everything else exists. And Paul is literally saying to the church at Colossae, thank you for your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, here's the greatest thing I think we can begin to understand is that when our faith leads to actions, that is what makes a church grow grow spiritually, grow numerically, because it's more than just a faith. It's a faith that leads to action. So what should we be thankful for? Faith in Jesus Christ, because our faith is the only thing we have to hold on to, especially, listen to me, especially when times get tough. We have, we have not even begun to see the amount of persecution that we see overseas. We haven't. We don't have that. Nobody was knocking on my door this morning or, or, or trying to tear through my door last night to stop us from meeting. Nobody was outside your house to discourage you from going. Nobody was standing outside the walls of this church with AK-47s as an intimidation factor to stop you from coming, were they? No. But that happens all around the world. And what Paul says in the midst of sitting in prison is, listen, don't let the circumstances and the discouragement mislead you or lead you down the wrong path, but rather I want you to know that I'm thankful for you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, going back to what we said about Satan, Satan has all kinds of seeds of discouragement he wants to plant. And as a matter of fact, I would venture to say that some people came in today discouraged by whatever you're facing. And you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to water those. Because as he waters those and causes them to grow up inside your heart because you're discouraged over and over and over again and you're not thankful, 
As a result, what ends up happening is you become a discouragement and your whole life is full of nothing but downers. One of the greatest struggles I believe that most of our world is facing, especially it seems like in America, is this whole idea of discouragement and depression and doubt and struggle and worth and value. All of those things are straight lies from the pit of hell from Satan himself. To say that you don't value, you're not mattered, you have no value, you have no purpose, you have no meaning, that you should just go ahead and off yourself, that you give in to the drugs, do whatever it is. All of those are discouragements. And remember what I said, an ungrateful heart is a heart that is open to discouragement. But a grateful heart does not let the discouragement seeds grow. And so here's the question I wanna ask you. What are you grateful for? I'm not the name it, claim it, prosperity type, but dadgummit, we are so negative, it's not even funny. We give in to negativity. And I'm not even the type of, oh, power of positive thinking, but we gotta stop thinking discouragement. You gotta stop thinking about depression. You gotta stop thinking about everything that Satan wants to do. And you gotta start thinking, God, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my health. Thank you for my church. Thank you for how you provide. None of you that I know of are out on the streets without a job and without a home. Those are things to be thankful for. None of you are without connections and relationships because you have the open opportunities right here now. You should be thankful for those. Thank God for every blessing. Why? Because those are the things that stop seeds of discouragement from creeping in. And the number one seed of blessing is my faith in Jesus. It is the only thing you will have to hold on to at the end. You can't go, man, I built my 401k to over a million dollars. You kidding me? Yeah, it's gone. You're dead. Now what you gonna do with it? All you got is your faith. What if for some reason you lost all of that? All you have is what? Faith. So why should we be thankful? Because, listen, very simply, because we have our faith in Jesus. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. So listen, I am saved by grace through faith, my faith in Jesus Christ. So why should we be thankful? Number one is faith in Jesus. Number two, listen, why should we be thankful? Because of love for others. The reason Paul was so thankful for the church of Colossae is because he says, you have a love for others that is unsurpassed. It's unmatched. It's amazing what you're doing. And here's what I want to challenge you with, because this is what takes place in the Bible and what takes place in scripture. That love and what he's talking about is your love for each other. The love amongst the body is something that cannot be denied. There is a special love that takes place when I look out for a brother or sister in Christ. And listen, one of those things is we can say, hey, this is the local church, but I want you to also think about this in a global perspective, that you and I, as a result of what Jesus has done, are brothers and sisters in Christ with those who are being persecuted, with those who are overseas, with those who can't walk into church without the fear of being killed and martyred for their faith. We have a love for others, and that's what we need to be about. We have to understand that our love for others has to carry over. So listen to what he says. 
Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Now, I say this knowing that there's a lot that's going on with our immigration and everything else. And listen, I'm not gonna take a political sides, but I wanna ask you this question. When we talk about the love for all the saints, I remember a lady telling me one time her son would never go on a trip overseas because he couldn't go and serve those people. Over my dead body, will my son ever go over to a country like that and serve those people? There's a problem. You know, we used to sing this song, red and yellow, black and white. Oh, there we go. I heard somebody say it. They are precious in his sight, right? Jesus loves the little children of the world. Why do we continue to act the way we act? Why do we continue to look at people with race and nationality? Why do we look at people with disdain and hate? There's no room for that whatsoever in the gospel. There's no room for that in the church. There's no room for that in the life of a Christian. Love for others. Listen, Paul is expressing his thanks because he's heard of their faith and their love. Their care for one another. Their compassion for other people. What a message to be communicated, to be a church known for love known for their love, their love for each other, their love regardless of what happened in the past, regardless of what somebody said. Matter of fact, I'm gonna, just gonna tell you, when you're a part of a family at some point in time, your wife's gonna offend you, right? I mean, my wife at times is just gonna say like, you know what, Brian, suck it up, buttercup, you little Sally. Quit being a weenie. I could walk off and be really offended or at some point I could be, oh, hey, she's right. When everything went down with our last church and I wanted to hold on to bitterness and anger, she's like, you know what? Get over yourself. You gotta learn to forgive and move on. And it was like, I don't wanna forgive and move on. I wanna sit here and sulk and pout. Sometimes it's gonna take times where people are gonna be in your grill and up in your face. And guess what? You should still have love for that person. Now, obviously you deal with it in a certain way. You know, just come out, you know. I don't just walk up to anybody and be like, you know what, soak it up, buttercup. They might just walk out the door. But I learned to have love for people, don't I? A love that carries over, that says, look, I care for you more than just showing up on Sunday and saying, hey, how's it going? I care for you because you're part of my life. You're part of my family. So what should I be thankful for? Look around. And, and don't stop there because here's what I believe wholeheartedly. We're, we're, we talked about it. We're praying about it. We're, we're gonna be praying about it even more tonight. But if we talk about wanting to see 10 people baptized, that means 10 people led to Jesus and we wanna average over 100 in church. That means we need to have room for more people. We need to have open circles that are willing to accept people from different walks of life and say, hey, guess what? You're my family. I will care for you. I will, I will walk with you. I will be there when you struggle, when you cry, when you, when you doubt, when you need the most help. I'm right there for you. So you have a chance to be thankful because why? For the love of others. 
You can love other people and you can carry that over to other people. Listen, there is no doubt in my mind that the greatest thing that we can do to attract people to Jesus, to show people Jesus, is simply love. Matter of fact, John 13, 34 says, people will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Now, I have to say this, and I'm gonna say this cautiously, but I want you to understand this. You can always play the grass is greener on the other side of the fence and look and go, I just don't wanna hang out with these types of people. But I want you to think about this. God did not call you to a perfect church, but God called you to be a part of the church. God saved you, redeemed you, bought you, purchased you so that, listen, you can contribute to the roles and necessities within the family, the body of Christ, because you're unique, you're gifted, you have passions and pleasures that God has given you and placed in you so that you can use them to build others up, to strengthen the body. And that's the beauty of this. The love for others is huge. So what should we be thankful for? A love for others. Listen to this. Francis Burkett, he's an old British theologian, says this. Faith and love are inseparable companions. There is a necessary connection between them. Faith without love is no living grace and love without faith is not saving grace. Faith and love go hand in hand. Love is a selfless Act and real Christians do not pick and choose who to love, but that we love each other and we love everyone in our local church as well as other believers beyond our church. And then, number three, listen to this what should we be thankful for? The hope of heaven. Listen to what he says, verse five the faith and, and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. The hope of heaven is something that we can all be thankful for. And I've heard people say, listen, don't get so caught up in the eternity thing that you miss out on life here on earth. But I want you to understand this but the reason that we have the faith and the love is a result result of the hope that we know that is built up for us or stored up for us in heaven later. There is a faith and love that stems from or streams from the hope we have in the future. That is a promise that God made. That when you put your faith in Jesus and you love him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and, and mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself, guess what? That is a result of the spirit working in you and that is a result of the hope you have in heaven. That at some point in time, whether it's Jesus coming back or my death, that I get to experience the hope that was promised, that was built up for me, that was saved for me in heaven. That's the hope you have. You have the hope that leads to heaven or you have no hope that's gonna lead you to the pits of hell. I have the faith that points me to Jesus that says everything is revolving around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus or I have no faith at all. I have the love that says, listen, because Jesus loved me first by sacrificing, then I should also lay down my life just like Jesus so that I can lead others to the gospel. That's love. Or I can have a selfish idea that most of the world now classifies as love, which is what are you gonna do to fulfill me? So what should you be thankful for? Number one, faith in Jesus. Number two, love for others. And number three, the hope 
of heaven. That's the promised eternity. Our hope rests in the hands of Jesus, not in the arms, listen to me, not in the arms of another individual. My hope rests in the hands of Jesus, not in the arms of another individual. And number four, what do we have to be thankful for? The gospel message of the church. Listen to what he says, and we're gonna wrap up with this. He says, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, and all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all the truth. Here's what I want you to understand. What should we be thankful for? The gospel message, and here's why. The reason we should be thankful for the gospel message is because the gospel message does two things. Number one, it says that it bears fruit. The gospel is bearing fruit, and it is, oh, sorry, that the gospel is the word of truth. Number one, sorry, the gospel is the word of truth. Number two, that the the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. We begin to see this, and I want you to understand that when we see that the gospel is the word of truth, we can understand that God wants us to do greater things. John 5, 39, verse 40. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The reason God gave us the gospel is because through the gospel, we can understand that we can have life in Jesus Christ. It's not through the reading of scripture that all of a sudden I know Jesus. It's simply by knowing the gospel. It's the very simple fact of understanding. Listen to what he says. You search the scriptures. And so what I say is this. There's lots of people who have read the Bible who don't believe in Jesus. There's lots of people who have read through and said, you know what? No way. So you search scriptures, looking for all the answers and all the things that you can do because you think that in them you have eternal life. But you only receive eternal life through Jesus Christ, of which the scriptures proclaim. That's the beauty of how scripture works. We don't worship scripture, we worship the Jesus of scripture. We have good news because the good news is about Jesus Christ, not about the word, like the Bible, but it's about Jesus, the word of God. So we proclaim Jesus, Christ crucified. Do you know that you could be an expert in the scriptures and still go to hell? Matter of fact, I was reading an article, and I don't know if I even brought it up last week. I, there's, there's a new definition. I'm trying to figure this one out. There's a new definition of atheists. Not joking. Just popped up last week. Read it thought, what the heck? It's called Christian atheists. At which point I went, huh? How can you have a Christian atheist? <laughs> because the Christ of the Bible would contradict atheism in the first place because Jesus claimed to be God and atheism says there's no such thing as God. So how can we have a Christian atheist? Now, listen, I understand the past. There used to be this idea of Christian atheists. In other words, people who claim Jesus but deny him by his lifestyle. But listen to me. They have literally, the atheist movement has come out with this new definition called Christian atheists. But I want you to understand this, that, that it's not 
based upon studying scriptures, but it's simply based upon your faith in Jesus Christ. We study scriptures because we believe that Jesus wants us to know him more. So we want to know God. We want to know the God of the scriptures. We want to know the God of the Bible. And so we do pour our lives into scripture. But listen, this gospel message that we're talking about, understand this, that it is the word of truth, number one, and number two, that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing all around the world. As a matter of fact, over and over and over again, we see this consistently. The fastest growing movements are outside the United States. And we can sit back and go, oh, we're, we're doing all kinds of things wrong. But the simple fact is this, if we stay true to God's word and we live God's word out, then we can be a church that can be thankful or a church that, that people are gonna thank for, be thankful for. Because we're walking in obedience, because we're living out our faith, because we're doing exactly what God had called us to do. And I want to ask this question very simply because I want, to, I want us to think about this. Are we committed to taking the gospel to our neighbors and the nations? Are you committed to taking the gospel to our neighbors and the nations? What if it costs you your life? Are you committed to taking the gospel to your neighbors and the nations? What if it costs you your job? Are you committed to taking the gospel to your neighbors and the nations? Paul was thankful, listen, for their faith, their hope, and their love. And if you've ever read scripture, that's something that Paul focuses on a lot. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 33, it says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. But what I want you to understand is this, that a gospel message that we bear, the, the responsibility of sharing the good news of the gospel with our neighbors is the same gospel message that is turning over nations and countries around the world to acknowledge their need for Jesus. If you're on Facebook recently, maybe you've seen one of the fastest growing movements now is actually in Iran. I don't know how accurate, I haven't studied a lot of this out, but did you know that one of the fastest growing Christian movements right now is going on in Iran? Iran. The very people that most likely, if we said these were Iranians coming in, most people would be like, oh, heck no, I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with those people in the Middle East. Now, do you see where we're at again? I don't know about you, but I'm gonna ask you to do this, that you would pray specifically where you're at to ask God to say, God, what do you want to do in me and through me. Because when we talk about it, about being a church that's taking Christ, life in Christ to our neighbors and the nations, there's a cost. And the reason why Paul was so thankful for the church at Colossae was because of their faith in Jesus first and foremost because everything else was secondary. Their love for others, and as a result of their love for others, their, their faith and hope that sprung out of, or their faith and love that sprung out of the hope of heaven. 
And it was all based upon the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to take the gospel to the uttermost parts? Are you willing to lay your life on the line and say, this is what it is? Are you willing to be a church? Are you asking for and wanting to be a church that other believers can be thankful for? That other people can be thankful for? Then those are the four things that have to be evident. Faith, love, hope, and an uncompromised conviction to the gospel because it's the word of truth. Let's pray. Jesus, you know, above all else, you know all things. You know our hearts. You know the very things that maybe we've been discouraged by, maybe the seeds of doubt and discouragement that Satan is trying to plant. And God, at times, it can lead to being overwhelmed. It can lead to being depressed. It can lead to being stressed out and anxious. All of those things are not of you. All of those things are of Satan. We're to cast all our carries and not worry about anything because there's enough worry for everything else, but we sure to trust you. We shouldn't let the anxiety overwhelm us because we can follow you, being thankful for what you want to do in each and every circumstance and situation in our life. And so God, today I pray that we would understand what it means to be thankful. God, that in the midst of being thankful, a thankful person can defeat discouragement, can defeat doubt because we're thankful for everything that you've given us. God, I thank you for the faith that I have in you. I thank you for the fact that you have placed that in me, that I can trust you, that I can walk with you, that I can learn to follow your promises, that God, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path, that God, I can't see the future, but I know that I have a promised hope before me, that I know that regardless of what I face, that you are going to build me up. You are going to encourage me in the face of discouragement, that you're going to walk with me and never leave me. And so God, whatever it is that may be faced today by people here, God, may we turn those discouragements over. Can we deep down look inside and look for the things to be thankful for? God, thank you for this church. I thank you for the people here. And God, are we a work in progress? Yes. Are we perfect? No. Have we sinned? Yes. Do we continue to sin? Yes. Do we struggle with doubt? Yes. Do we have discouragement? Yes. Do we have hangups and habits and addictions? Yes. But Lord, I know that you've called us to a higher standard. And God, in the midst of all of those negative things that we can just look at, may we be thankful that our faith rests in you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we st-